0: Good morning, if you have your Bible with you, please check it out, go over into your New Testament to the Gospel of Matthew to Matthew, the fourth chapter, Matthew chapter four. As we begin our study this morning from God's word, I want to begin by asking a question that I'm afraid uh, to ask, but I'm going to ask it anyway, and that question is, have you been keeping up with your Bible reading? For those of you who are members of the Monte Vista Church of Christ, have you been keeping up with reading one chapter a day, five days a week? I, I certainly hope that you've been doing that. Uh, during this time of quarantine, I certainly hope that you've been keeping up with your Bible reading. I certainly hope that you are ready to begin the Gospel of Matthew tomorrow. We're going to begin Matthew's gospel tomorrow. This will be the second gospel that we're reading this year. Tomorrow we're going to read Matthew chapter 1. Matthew 1 is about the genealogy of Jesus Christ. That is a very important chapter because it provides evidence that Jesus is the Messiah because his genealogy can be traced back to David and Abraham. That was very important to the Jewish audience that Matthew was writing to. Matthew 1 is also about the virgin birth of Jesus. We get to Matthew 2 on Tuesday, and then we read about the time when Herod tried to kill Jesus when he was just a small child. And Matthew 3, we read about the ministry of John the Baptist and about the time when John baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. And then on Thursday, we're going to read Matthew 4. In fact, I would like to base our study this morning from Matthew chapter 4. And I want to set up what we're going to study this morning by reading the first 11 verses of Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse number 1, the Bible says, Then Jesus, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry, and the tempter came and said to him, If you're the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Verse 11, Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. I want you to pay close attention to what Matthew tells us about this very specific incident in the life of Jesus. Notice how, according to what Matthew says, there was a time when after Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan River when the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness. Verse 1 says that the Holy Spirit led Jesus to a place that is dry and it is deserted and hot and uncomfortable and lonely and completely isolated from civilization. The, The scripture says that the Spirit of God led Jesus into this place. In fact, while he was there, The Bible also says he fasted. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Brothers and sisters, that is an extremely long time for any person to fast. That is an extremely long time for any person to go without food. In fact, the devil seemed to understand that because during this very tough time of fasting, the Bible also tells us that that he showed up. He showed up in the wilderness on this occasion, and he began testing Jesus. He began assaulting Jesus. He began tempting the Lord when he was in a very vulnerable situation, and the reason why he does that is because he's very smart. He's very intelligent. He knows that if he can persuade the Lord to commit one sin, just one sin in this very vulnerable period in his life, then God's entire scheme of redemption is completely destroyed. God's entire plan to save us from our sins is completely messed up. You see here in Matthew chapter 4, The devil is trying to mess up God's scheme of redemption. The question, though, is, is what exactly does he do? What action does he take? What specific tactics does he use to try to get Jesus to sin? Well, if you don't mind, my dear friends, in an effort... In an effort to help us stay committed to our Bible reading and in an effort to keep us focused on our theme this year of experiencing the fullness of Christ, this morning in our study, I want us to rehearse this very critical episode that took place in the life of Jesus. This morning, I want us to study the temptations of Jesus, and the reason why I refer to them as temptations of Jesus is because I believe that when you study this text very carefully, there is no doubt that the devil puts multiple temptations before Jesus. There is no doubt that the devil puts several tests before Jesus. The very Son of God, in fact, the very first test or the very first temptation that the devil puts before Jesus is found in verse number 3. Going back to the text, notice how in verse number 3 the Bible says that the very first assault that Satan puts against Jesus is he begins his assault by trying to persuade him to turn stones into bread. He tries to persuade him to miraculously feed himself while he is hungry in the wilderness. He does that because he clearly is aware of the Lord's situation. He clearly is aware that at that moment in his life, the Lord is in isolation. The Lord is in a remote place. The Lord is completely void of any kind of human help and sympathy. The devil knows that. The devil knows what's going on here. He knows that the Lord is physically weak at this point. He knows that the Lord is extremely hungry. He knows that the Lord is probably at his most vulnerable position, and he wants to try to persuade him to turn a famine into a feast. He wants to try to persuade him to take care of himself and to turn stones into bread. And even though the Lord could have easily done that, the scripture says he refuses, right? He refuses to give in to this temptation from the devil. And so when that one doesn't work, the devil then moves to a second temptation. And that second one is found for us in in verses 5 through 7. Remember, after he could not convince Jesus to miraculously turn stones into bread, the Bible says that the second thing the devil tries to do is he tries to persuade Jesus to jump off or throw himself off of the pinnacle of the temple. Notice again what the Scripture says in verse number 6. In verse 6, after taking him to the pinnacle of the temple... The devil said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. This temptation that the devil puts before Jesus here is particularly interesting. It is even more vicious because with this temptation, the devil does something out of his character, and that is he quotes the Scriptures. He he actually quotes the Word of God. He quotes the 91st Psalm. He quotes a psalm about how God's people are to trust in him to take care of them and provide for them. Here the devil steps his game up in his effort to persuade Jesus to sin by even quoting the Scriptures, but once again, what does Jesus do? Well, once again, Jesus resists. Jesus does not give in to this temptation from the devil, and so when that one doesn't work, the devil then comes again, and he brings a third temptation before Jesus, and this one involves him trying to persuade the Lord to bow down and worship him. Matthew 4 and verse 8, notice again, it says, The devil took him, took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. Now, when you put this verse with what Luke says about the same incident over in Luke 4 and verse 5, Luke says that the devil showed Jesus the glory of the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. In a moment of time, you see that language in a moment of time leads me to believe that the devil showed Jesus these things in some kind of miraculous vision. In some sort of miraculous vision, the devil showed Jesus all the glory of the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you these things. I will give you the glory of the world if... You bow down and worship me. That's the third temptation that the devil puts before Jesus. But once again, what does Jesus do? Once again, he resists. Once again, he refuses. He refuses to bow down and worship the evil one. He refuses to show honor to the devil. He refuses to pledge his allegiance with anyone outside of his heavenly Father. Now, brothers and sisters, these are the three temptations that the devil brought before Jesus. And after rehearsing these three things this morning, let me ask you something. Do you see the main thing that ties them all together? Do you see the main thing that the devil is doing here? Do you see the main thing that he is challenging Jesus on in every one of these cases? Do you see how in each one of these temptations, what the devil is really doing is he is really challenging Jesus' trust in God? He is really challenging Jesus' trust in his heavenly Father. He is really challenging Jesus' trust and God's ability to take care of him and provide for him as his son. That is what the devil is really doing with each one of these temptations, and it is so important that we see that. It is so important that we see that in the text. For example, going back to the text, Going back to the first temptation that the devil brought before Jesus, remember verse number three, the devil tried to tempt Jesus to prove himself to be the son of God by turning stones into bread. Let me ask you a question. Is there anything inherently wrong with that? Is there anything really sinful about that? Is there anything really sinful about Jesus miraculously multiplying food to feed himself? Of course not. Uh, Of course not. I mean, I hope we can all agree this morning that it's not a sin for a person to eat food. We all eat food, right? We all need food. We're all going to eat food in just a few minutes after we leave this place. You see, the problem here is not so much that it would have been wrong for Jesus to miraculously make food in fact we can read about Jesus doing that doing that at least twice in the gospels both in John chapter 6 and in Mark chapter 8. We can read about times when Jesus miraculously multiplied fish and bread to feed thousands of men, women, and children. The problem here is not with Jesus miraculously multiplying food. No, the problem here is Jesus knows what the devil is really trying to do. He knows what the devil's really up to. He knows that the devil, with this temptation, He's really challenging his trust in God. He's really challenging his trust in his heavenly father to provide for him. In fact, that is exactly why he says what he says in Matthew 4 verse 4. Remember, when responding to this temptation from the devil, Jesus responded by saying, man shall not live by bread only or by bread alone, but by what? but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Brothers and sisters, that statement Jesus makes there is a quotation from the Old Testament. Specifically, that is a quotation from the book of Deuteronomy. That is a quotation from Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse number 3. You see, they really get the most out of what Jesus is saying there, you got to understand the context of Deuteronomy 8 and verse 3. In the context of Deuteronomy 8 and verse 3, Moses is speaking to the children of Israel and he is reminding them about the time when God allowed them to go hungry in the wilderness. You see, after bringing them out of Egyptian bondage, there was a time When God allowed his people to be hungry in the wilderness, and the reason he did that is because he was trying to teach them some lessons. He was trying to teach them humility. He was trying to teach them to be dependent upon him and to always seek to do his will and to always trust in his ability to take care of them. That is what Deuteronomy 8 and verse 3 is talking about in its context. And Jesus quotes that verse to emphatically tell the devil that just like the Israelites were taken care of when they obeyed God and trusted God, the same thing was going to happen to him. God was also going to take care of him, just like he took care of Israel when they were hungry in the wilderness. In fact, that is exactly what happened according to Matthew 4 and verse 11. Remember in Matthew 4 and verse 11, the scripture says that after the devil left Jesus, who came? The angels came. The angels came and they ministered to Jesus. I believe that part of the angels ministering to Jesus was they were sent by God to provide him with the food he needed. They were sent by his heavenly Father to give him the nourishment he needed after fasting for a long period of time. Here, with the first temptation, the devil is hes challenging Jesus' trust in his Father. You see, here the devil is quoting Scripture to challenge Jesus' trust in God, and while he does quote the Scripture, brothers and sisters, we need to understand this morning that like all false teachers, what the devil does is he misapplies the Scripture. He perverts the Scripture. He takes the Scripture out of its context. He used the Scripture in a way that God never intended it to be used. You see, my friends, when those words in Psalm 91 were originally penned, they were designed to motivate men to put their trust in God, to put their trust in God's ability to take care of them. Those words were not originally written to persuade men or encourage men to put God to the test. Those words were not originally written to encourage men to challenge God into doing whatever they wanted God to do. You see here, the devil is quoting scripture, but he's misapplying the scripture. He's taking the scripture out of its context. He's trying to use one scripture to conflict with other scriptures. And that is exactly why Jesus says what he does in verse number seven. In verse number seven, what did Jesus say? Well, Jesus said, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Once again, what does Jesus do? He quotes scripture, doesn't he? The devil quotes scripture and Jesus quotes scripture, but Jesus is going to quote the scripture correctly. He's going to apply the Scripture correctly. In fact, he's going to quote once again from Deuteronomy, this time Deuteronomy 6 and verse 16. In Deuteronomy 6 and verse 16, in the context of that verse, we find Moses once again speaking to the children of Israel, only this time he's trying to urge them not to grumble against God not to complain against God, not to disobey God and even test God like their ancestors did when they were thirsty for water in the wilderness. You see, by quoting Deuteronomy 6 and verse 16, what Jesus is showing the devil is he is showing him how to accurately apply the Scriptures. He is showing the devil how he misapplied Psalm 91. Psalm 91 is not a psalm about doing the opposite of what Moses said in Deuteronomy 6. It is not a psalm about tempting God. It is not a psalm about testing God. Instead, it is a psalm about trusting God. It is a psalm about having confidence in God and knowing that God will come to your aid and rescue you in your your times of trials. In his time. And so once again, the devil, he's challenging. He's challenging Jesus' trust in God. He does that with the first temptation. He does it with the second temptation. And he also does it with the third temptation. He does it with the third temptation when he talks about how he would give him all of the glory of the kingdoms of the world if he bowed down and worshiped him. Can I ask you a question? And I need somebody to help me this morning. Right now, right now as I speak to you, who has all authority in heaven and on earth? Can can somebody answer that? Who who does? That's right, Jesus does. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. And how do we know that? Well, we know that because Jesus said so. Jesus says so in Matthew 28 and verse 18. There Jesus said, before he ascended to heaven to sit at the right hand of God, he said, all authority has been given to me in the heaven and on earth. Notice how Jesus himself says that he has all authority. He has all power. He has all power in the physical realm, and he also has all power in the spiritual realm. And we need to understand, brothers and sisters, that it was always the Father's will to give Jesus that kind of power. It was always the Father's will to exalt him over all things. It was always the Father's will to make him king of kings and lord of lords, but for him to receive what the Father ordained for him to have, it will require him taking a difficult path. It will require him being mocked and ridiculed and betrayed and spit on and scourged. It would require him having a crown of thorns beat into his head and him being stripped naked and having to carry a cross to Golgotha and having to be crucified on that cross and eventually having to be raised from the dead. That is the path that the Father chose to make Jesus the King of kings and the Lord of lords, but here in Matthew 4, the devil wants to persuade him to take the shortcut. The devil wants him to believe that he would give him all of the power in the physical world if he pledged his allegiance to him. It's almost like the devil is saying to Jesus, Hey, Jesus, your father wants you to go through all this suffering, but how can you be certain that he's really going to give you what he's promised? How can you really be certain that he's going to make you Lord over all things? Maybe you're suffering or maybe you're going to suffer for nothing. Maybe your father is lying to you, you bow down and you worship me and you, you serve me and, and you can bypass all this this bad stuff you're going to experience. Once again, the devil is challenging. He's challenging Jesus' trust and his Father's will, but Jesus is going to answer him in the same way that he's answered him every time up to this point, right? He's going to answer him by quoting Scripture. In verse 10, he quotes once again from the book of Deuteronomy. He quotes from Deuteronomy 6 and verse number 13. In Deuteronomy 6 and verse 13, Moses told the children of Israel that you are to worship God and you worship and serve him alone. You see, by quoting that verse, Jesus is emphatically telling the devil that he wasn't going to sell out on his father. He wasn't going to bow down and worship the devil. He wasn't going to pledge allegiance to the evil one. He wasn't going to serve the father of lies. Instead, he was going to trust in the plan that God ordained to make him the ruler over all things, even if that meant he had to suffer and die on a cross. Here's the point of my lesson. The point I'm trying to make, my dear friends, is Jesus did defeat the devil. He did defeat the devil on this occasion, and he defeated the devil not just because he knew the Word of God, and not just because he quoted the Word of God, and not just because he applied the Word of God, but also because he trusted the Word of God. He trusted in the promises of his heavenly Father. The question, though, is... Is what about you? What about you this morning? What about me? What about us? I mean, do we trust in the Father just like Jesus trusts in the Father? Right now, as you examine your own heart and your own life, do you really trust God? If you say you trust God, how much do you trust God? Do you trust God a lot or do you just trust him a little? How much do you trust God? I ask you that question because we need to understand that like in the case of Jesus, the devil also doesn't want us to trust God. The devil also doesn't want us to believe that God loves us and God cares about us and God will be faithful to the promises he has made us. You see, the devil understands that if he can get us to start doubting God's care and love for us, then it's only a matter of time before we fall away from God completely. The devil doesn't want us to trust in God. And so as you travel through this life, the main question you got to ask yourself every single day is, will I trust God? Will I trust God? Will you trust God If you happen to lose your job during this terrible time of pandemic, and you're struggling to figure out how you're going to find another job so you can take care of your family, will you trust God? Will will you trust in what Jesus says in Matthew 6 and verse 33, where Jesus says if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, God will make sure you have everything you need to survive and, and be sustained in this world. Will you trust And what God says in that verse, and if you happen to get bad news from the doctor one day that says, I'm sorry, but that cancer has come back and it's really aggressive this time. Will you trust God? Will you trust that God is aware of what you're going through? Will you trust that God cares about you? Will you trust that God will give you the strength you need to press on in Jesus Christ? And whenever you're trying to win a soul for the glory of God and, and, and you keep getting rejected over and over again, you keep inviting somebody to come to worship service with you and they keep rejecting your invitation or you keep trying to invite somebody to have a Bible study with you, but they say, no, I don't want to study with you. When you find yourself getting discouraged, when you do evangelism, when you trust God, when you trust what Jesus says in Matthew 28 and verse 20, because there Jesus says, in lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, in the context of, of that context of that verse, Jesus is talking about being with us while we do evangelism. He's talking about being with us while we go out into the world, verse 19, and make disciples of the nations, will we trust in Jesus when we get discouraged while doing evangelism? And whenever you start struggling with a spiritual temptation, Whenever you start struggling maybe with pornography or uncontrolled anger or drinking or or maybe you find yourself getting too close to somebody on your job that's not your spouse. Whenever you start having these kind of temptations in your life, will you trust God? Will you trust what God says about the consequences of sin? Will you trust in the avenue or the path of escape that God has provided you through his word? Will you trust that with every instruction God gives in his word, it only has your best interest in mind? Will you trust God when you start struggling with temptations? And as a local church, as we continue to try to grow and thrive for decades to come, Will we trust in God's plan for our growth? Will we trust in the fact that the gospel is the drawing power of God, or are we going to try to draw people to God in the way that we best see fit? Instead of just trusting in teaching the word of God and allowing the church to grow through evangelism like you find in the Bible. Are we going to instead resort to unscriptural methods for our growth? Are we going to resort to using the Lord's money for basketball and pizza and youth ministers and bingo nights and all other kinds of gimmicks and recreational activities? Will we trust in God's plan? Or are we going to follow in the footsteps of so many churches who care less about God's plan? The point I'm trying to make is this. Just like Jesus, just like Jesus, if we are going to defeat the devil in our lives, we got to know God's word. We got to apply God's word. And we got to trust God's word. Jesus put his complete trust in the word of God. And I thank God he did that because Because he trusted in God and lived a sinless life, today we can be here gathered to worship God with hope, right? Because Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life, you and I can have an opportunity today to go to heaven to be with God if we put our trust in him. So maybe there's somebody here this morning and you've been living your life outside of the will of God. Maybe you've been living a life that shows absolutely no trust in God. If so then you can change that today. Today you can start putting your trust in God. If you're not a Christian, that means that today you can put your trust in God by obeying His plan of salvation, by believing in His Son, repenting of your sins, and putting your trust in the simple commandment to be baptized in water for the forgiveness of your sins. Well, if you are a Christian, and that's, just, that's straight away, and you're no longer trusting God today, You can rededicate yourself to him. You can ask God to forgive you. You can trust that he will forgive you, and you can allow us as your brethren to pray with you and to pray for you. If there's someone here this morning who needs to, for the first time, or to once again put your trust in the Heavenly Father, we want to help you with that, and we will right here and right now.